Senior Project and Research Officer at the Australia-China Relations Institute at the University of Technology, Sydney. Welcome to the ACRI podcast. On today's episode, I'll be talking to my colleague Simone van Nivenhazen. Simone is Project and Research Officer here at ACRI, and she has also presided over the ACRI podcast as its producer since its launch in July 2017. She has also held research and project roles at the Carnegie Tsinghua Centre for Global Policy and the Lowy Institute for International Policy. She has a Master's in Diplomacy in Chinese from Peking University and lived in China for three years. The future of the post-World War II international order has been central to many a foreign policy and international relations discussion over the years, but much more so in recent times given the shifting tectonic plates in global politics. We're seeing a seeming retreat from the current order by the US, a revisionist order proposed by the PRC, and calls from countries like Australia, France and Canada to uphold the international order in its present form. But in attempting to ascertain the likely future of the international order, it is important to first grasp exactly what the international order means to the countries that see themselves as participants in it. Simone will be talking to me today about her latest research, first presented last month at a conference in Beijing, on Australian and People's Republic of China government conceptions of the international order. Welcome to the program, Simone. Good to be here, Eleanor. So before going into how Australia and the PRC understand the international order and how they interpret their roles within it, could you give us a quick rundown of what the international order currently in effect constitutes? That the term itself, international order, is quite contested and we'll get to that discussion further on in the podcast. But there are some essential elements that are accepted across the board. So the international order in its current guise arose following the Second World War with the establishment of various multilateral organisations, particularly the United Nations and also GATT, which then evolved into the WTO. So it encompasses the rules, norms and institutions that govern the ordered interaction of states, and that also includes international law, to put it in a nutshell. All right, well, both Australia and the PRC have expressed commitment to upholding the international order. Indeed, the 19th Party Congress report used this very phrase. But this commitment seems to mean different things to both countries. Your research shows that the subtleties of language in official documents and statements play a key role in establishing how a country interprets the international order and what a commitment to upholding it means. What is the term or terms favoured by the Australian government versus the term or terms favoured by the PRC? And what does the preferred phraseology show about each country's approach towards the international order? Yes, so during the course of my research, I discovered the Chinese government and the Australian government have quite different vocabularies for explaining the international order. So as our listeners might be aware, following the publication of the 2017 foreign policy white paper by the Australian government, the term rules-based order really became more in vogue. So that term's been used in scholarly and policy-making circles over the last 10 years or so, but the discussion really was reinvigorated following the publication of that white paper. And it really cemented the term rules-based order as the government's preferred terminology. But for the Chinese government, they prefer to omit this rules-based prefix. So their preferred terminology is simply international order. And 
on the surface of it, it might not seem like a particularly significant distinction, but delving into various government documents and statements, it comes across quite clearly that both the Australian and Chinese governments have different understandings for what the international order or rules-based order should entail. From the Chinese government perspective, perhaps one of the reasons why it prefers to omit this rules-based element is that it sees the existing rules as fundamentally unfair in a lot of cases. And one of the most salient examples would be in the South China Sea arbitration decision that came out in July 2016. So looking at the Chinese government's response to that decision in favour of the Philippines versus the Australian government's response, you can really see that the Australian government sees existing international rules and norms and international law as things that should be maintained and abided by under all circumstances by all states. So following the decision, Foreign Minister Julie Bishop released a media statement uh, responding to the decision and she connected the decision to the, the rules-based international order and how it has benefited all states and specifically in this case claimant states in the South China Sea. She said that adherence to international law is the foundation for peace, stability and prosperity in East Asia as it has been for many years. And according to my research this is actually the first time that the Australian government explicitly connected the rules-based order to South China Sea disputes. So previous white papers had mentioned the South China Sea to various extents as being a pressure point or a point of friction, but not necessarily connecting them to being threats to the international order. But then if you examine the PRC government's statements on the South China Sea and regarding this decision, the government essentially said that international law was being used as a coercive tool to challenge China's rightful sovereignty and its historical rights over the area. In the Ministry of Foreign Affairs statement, the Chinese government said China would continue to work with states directly concerned to resolve relevant disputes in the South China Sea through negotiations and consultations on the basis of respecting historical facts and in accordance with international law. So from the Chinese government perspective, they still see themselves as adhering to international law, even though the, the tribunal decision was clearly made in the Philippines' favour. Another difference between the Chinese and Australian government's understandings of the international order is in the importance or emphasis on reform. The Australian and Chinese governments both call, have called for reform to key institutions within the international order, especially the United Nations. But looking more deeply at government statements and white papers, you can really see that the Australian government favours the preservation or maintenance of the existing international order. And this comes across very clearly in the 2017 Foreign Policy White Paper, for example. And while the Australian government has on occasion called for emerging powers to have a greater voice within the international order, it's seen as m moving towards more of a socialisation process. So that means encouraging emerging powers to buy into the existing order and adhere to the uh, existing rules and norms rather than letting these new or emerging powers shape the rules or the systems themselves. But for the Chinese government, the emphasis is on, and, and this is a quote from Chinese government documents, 
the democratization and equitability of the international order. So the rules themselves are fundamentally unfair and require reform in order to allow emerging powers such as China to have more of a say in how the international order is run. But I think it's important also to point out that the Chinese and Australian governments are pretty much in accord when it comes to the World Trade Organization. So while the rules-based prefix is not added to Chinese government statements on the international order in general, the, the Chinese government and the Australian government actually use the exact same language when it comes to the World Trade Organization, and that is being at the core of a rules-based multilateral trading system. So China very much hopes that the rules within the World Trade Organization and the global trading system at large will be adhered to. And this actually is manifested quite clearly in recent discussion about the trade war between the US and China. And I was pretty struck by just how similar official government statements between Australia and China actually were. Something you don't see very often? No, exactly. How do Australia and China conceive of their own roles in the international order and uh, just playing off the, the discussion on the convergences and divergences between each country's understanding? Could you also analyse what the convergences and divergences are between Australia and PRC conception of their roles in the international order? My research showed quite clearly that the Chinese government has something of a split personality when it comes to how it sees China itself and its role within the international order. On the one hand, the Chinese government likes to use the term developing major country or developing major power, depending on how you want to translate it. And this kind of indicates that China is in more of the emerging power category. However, in other statements, the Chinese government emphasizes its role as a creator and upholder and defender of the international order, which indicates that it's had a key role in establishing the order and in its development to date. So these are two very different views of its roles, and I like to think of it in terms of pragmatic self-deprecation on China's part. When it comes to being a voice for emerging powers and countries that may not necessarily have had a voice in international matters or matters of international importance, China really trumpets this idea of being a developing power. But when it wants to be on equal footing with the US, for example, then portraying itself as a founder of the international order really plays in its favour as well. And what about Australia? Sometimes Australia has highlighted its role as a founding member of the United Nations and being a founder of the international order. But generally speaking, government statements and white papers demonstrate that Australia sees itself primarily as a supporter or an upholder and defender of the international order. And this is sort of seen as playing a support role to the United States. Do you think that China's split personality will merge into one fully formed personality um, in the near future? Um, actually, in, in reading all of these statements and documents, I, I've come to the conclusion that China's ambitions for how it would like to see the international order evolve in future and its own role uh, becoming more pronounced and prominent indicate that this kind of rule-taker aspect 
is going to be subsumed by its rulemaker aspect. So I suppose more recent statements indicate that it's heading towards wanting to play more of a leadership role. And what roles do Australia and China prescribe to other states in the international order? Yeah, so this is also another very important aspect that feeds into how governments interpret the international order and their own role within it as well. As I mentioned before, the Australian perspective is that the US is the central player in the international order. And I know I keep coming back to the foreign policy white paper, but that pretty much explicitly stated that without US leadership or continued US leadership, the international order will collapse. So that's the general world view. And there are a couple of uh, like-minded partners, as the Australian government likes to call them. This includes Japan, South Korea, um, India, and a couple of other countries that they've listed as like-minded partners. But it's actually quite interesting looking at Chinese government documents and how they portray Japan in particular. So um, with its territorial disputes in the East China Sea, the Daoyu-Senkaku Islands, China has referred to Japan's behaviour as constituting a challenge to the post-war international order. And this is also in military white papers as well as government statements. So clearly doesn't see Japan as a like-minded partner in the same way Australia sees Japan as a like-minded partner. And for the US, while the Chinese government doesn't necessarily explicitly state the US is an enemy or a threat, um, the, for example, in 2015, the military strategy white paper said that the pivot to Asia strategy at the time was a concerning development and that China would be keeping a close eye on developments in that regard as well. So as you can see, uh, both the Chinese and Australian governments have different ideas about how other states act or should be acting within the international order. The joint statement out of the 20th EU-China summit held in Beijing earlier this month made use of the phrase, quote, rules-based international order, end quote. Do you think that this represents a move towards a change in the PRC's thinking of what constitutes a commitment to the international order? And do you think there is a possibility that it might have been precipitated by the US reportedly objecting to the inclusion of that standard phrase in the G7 joint communique in June? Yeah, so I noticed that this term rules-based order cropped up in the joint statement. And this surprised me because, like I've said, the Chinese government really does not use the term rules-based order unless it's in reference specifically to the World Trade Organization. And I thought, oh, well, does this mean now that China is prescribing to the same idea of the international order? But reading the statement more closely, or if you just read, read the paragraph in which the rules-based order was used, I, I don't actually think this indicates a fundamental shift in understanding of how, how the Chinese government views the international order. The section of the joint statement actually said that both sides reaffirmed their commitment to multilateralism and the rules-based international order with the United Nations at its core and to uphold the UN Charter and international law, including the principles of sovereignty, territorial integrity and inviolability of borders. So a lot of caveats there. Exactly. So mm. the rules-based international order, great. Well, the United Nations at its core and the UN Charter, this is, these are things that are consistent with previous gov Chinese government statements. Um, the Chinese government 
specifically holds up the UN Charter as the basis of international rules and norms. So highlighting the UN Charter in particular demonstrates that China has not shifted from this view. And highlighting also sovereignty, territorial integrity and inviolability of borders. Yeah, anyone who's read a statement by the Chinese government in response to territorial disputes in the South China Sea, East China Sea, or even the, you know, the Doklam dispute with India, for example, these are core interests of the Chinese government. So the fact that they've managed to include it in the joint statement, it demonstrates that while it's calling it a rules-based order, it's not necessarily the same rules-based order as, as the EU or, you know, Australia or the US might think. And it's also important to remember that this is a joint statement. So if the Chinese government had, you know, been asked to make a statement about the international order just by itself, it would not have used the term rules-based order. You note in your research that the phrase, quote, rule of law in international relations, end quote, started to be utilised frequently in Chinese official documents such as statements to the UN around 2014. What's the significance of this? When I was doing research into how the Chinese government viewed international law, I came across this phrase, rule of law in international relations, and it was actually in a statement at the UN. Um, it was translated in English as um, China advocating for a rules-based international order or rules-based international relations. And I thought, oh, well, that's quite odd. I haven't seen this before. And then I looked into the Chinese version of that same UN document, and it was actually rule of law based or fa hua in Chinese international relations. And this led me to further research just to delve into the meaning of this. And then I came across uh, the first use of the term in 2014 by Xi Jinping in a speech at, on the anniversary of the five principles of peaceful coexistence. And, and he said that China or, and the rest of the world should strive towards the rule of law in international relations, or and for those of you who don't speak Chinese or understand Chinese, the use of the word hua here is quite important because it indicates a change in state or a change in, in affairs. So this, this really means that China or the Chinese government does not see current international relations as being rule of law based. And this the use of this term coincides with China's domestic policy as well. So ever since Xi Jinping came to power, rule of law in domestic policy has become one of the key focuses of the Chinese Communist Party. But its understanding of rule of law is very different from how the Australian government or other you know, so-called Western powers would view rule of law. It's very much seen as a top-down process with the Chinese Communist Party gaining more authority over the judiciary system. Whereas if you look at the Australian Attorney General Department's definition of rule of law, it's really about equal applicability of the law across all citizens, regardless of their status, and also intended as a check on the executive branch of government, which means you know government officials, um, representatives of the government are not immune to the rule of law either. So this is something that I think warrants its own research project and something that I'm going to be looking into in far more detail because 
as far as I know, no one's really researching this. And I, I think it's important to gain a deeper understanding about what exactly China means when it says rule of law in international relations. Well, that's all for this episode of the ACRI podcast. Thank you very much, Simone, for your insights. Simone will be fleshing out these thoughts on paper, so do look out for her work in the near future. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the ACRI podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud or listen to all episodes on our website, australiachinarelations.org. There you'll also find out more about ACRI's research and events. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at ACRI underscore UTS and on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening.